0: Welcome to The Defiant Podcast. Each week, we sit with those defying traditional finance and legacy institutions, the biggest brains and biggest names, and also those making a quieter but profound impact, the founders, investors, and creators of decentralized finance and Web3. You'll hear from them right here and get the scoop on how they're building at the frontier. I'm your host, Defiant founder, Camila Russo, putting this new world within your reach. So excited to have Yoni Asia here on the Defiant podcast. Yoni, it's great to have you here. Welcome.
1: Thank you very much. It's great to be here.
0: Yoni Asia is the founder and CEO of eToro, one of the most successful crypto and stock trading apps on the market with 27 million users in more than 100 countries at the time of recording. Originally founded in 2007, it was one of the pioneering companies to incorporate crypto to their platform as early as 2013. So what led Yoni to being so early in crypto, and where did the idea of eToro stem from? DYDX, the decentralized derivatives exchange, is on a mission to build the world's leading crypto trading platform. To further this mission, the team is now developing the next version of the protocol, v4. DYDX v4 is planned to launch at the end of 2022, and it will be open source, fully decentralized, and entirely controlled by the community. To help power this next step, DYDX has launched a grants program with funding allocated to open source builders, contributors, and ecosystem integrations. Come build the future of decentralized trading at DYDX Grants.
1: I actually started my passion to both the uh, internet and capital markets when I was very young. I did, I think, my first trade when I was about 13, and I'm... The oldest of Generation Y now, celebrating 41 years old. But when I was a teenager, this was really the beginning of the internet. And I was super excited about being able to connect with everyone around the world. And these were the technologies that inspired me and I've always been passionate about. And when we started eToro, I started eToro together with my older brother, Ronan, who comes from an industrial design background, a product background. And he always used to make fun of me that I have an accountant fetish. They sit in front of multiple charts with spreadsheets and with newspapers around the computer. And we started Detoro with a vision of how can we simplify? How can we hack the user experience to bring in millions of people into capital markets? And that's really the passion of how we started Detoro with a vision of opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent way. And this was very early on. This was the beginning of social networking. So we started adding more and more layers of social networking into the eToro platform. We started eToro 15 years ago when I was about 26. And since then, everything evolved to become what is today the largest social investment network where people can actually both trade stocks and crypto within a social network where they can share their performance with each other and copy the most successful investors on the platform.
0: Very cool. Okay, so unpacking that a little bit. So you started uh, eToro as a way to get people to invest in stocks easily. And this was back in in what year?
1: We started eToro in two thousand seven.
0: 2007. Okay. And so initially, was it basically a a place to to buy stocks without kind of the the social component, uh, like following investors and so on, that it now has?
1: We started by simplifying access to capital markets, to various markets like currencies, commodities, indices. We wanted to really simplify the experience of being able to easily open an account, easily fund Mm -hmm. an account, and easily make a trade. What we then realized starting to add social features is that people also needed help figuring out what to do. So it's not Mm -hmm. only about simplifying access to the markets, it's simplifying decision-making or the help in the decision support system that people need. And, And we chose social features, basically the ability to see what other people are doing, to have the ability to talk to other people, and then eventually to be able to automatically copy people. So when you see someone who is a successful investor, you can actually say, I want to copy this person with a thousand dollars and it copies his entire portfolio into your thousand dollars. And every time you trade, he trades, it trades in your account at the same time, the same proportion, the same price. So it gradually became not only a place to easily trade, but also to easily connect with other people to learn about capital markets and to copy the most successful investors.
0: Around when did you add the social component?
1: We added the Early on, the beginning of the social components was really early on, like 2008, eight mm-hmm. nine. we added the mm-hmm. chat feature and the profile feature. But then in 2010, we created what we call the open book, where you could actually see the trades of other people and see their performance. And then I think in 2011, we added the ability of copy trader, which enables you to automatically copy other people.
0: Okay. So 2007, you started as... First step was simplifying investment. So can you also break that down a little bit? Like in what way were you trying to simplify investment?
1: So first of all, if you think, and I think this still is the case for a lot of people in a lot of countries, people are very much afraid from making decisions in capital markets and investing. It used to, when we started eToro, you had to also, and again, that relates to later on our fascination with blockchain, you could only fund accounts with a wire, which took, if you were you know outside the US, it might take you even a week or two weeks just to open an account. So really the first initiation is how do we simplify the process of onboarding? And the second one is realizing that the user experience, that the flow of how people make their first trade, that's very important to gain experience. It also led us to build the demo platform Uh, which interestingly enough is still unique today. If you think of trading platforms, we're one of the very, of the few that actually have a simulator. So any person who opens an account gets a hundred thousand dollars of virtual money where they can experience the platform for free without risk.
0: Okay, so you simplified the process of funding the account. So instead of doing a wire, did you do it using another yeah, method?
1: Yeah. Still, people can now open an account with eToro in some places with as low as $10. Mm-hmm. They can do it with a credit card or PayPal. So everything is streamlined. So you download, today you download the app because then there weren't apps, but you download mm-hmm. the apps, you open an account, the entire sort of KYC and everything is automated. You can fund an account with as low as $10, and then buy a fraction of Bitcoin for $10 or a fraction of Google or Tesla for $10. So all all of these beats in the process to make it efficient from the moment that you potentially see an ad or read an article about an asset to where you onboard and actually open the trade, simplify that process was a big part and still a big part of our journey on how to make it as simple as possible for a person to become from a non-investor to an investor. Got it.
0: And... When you were doing uh, your trades when you were thirteen, how were you? How were you doing this? And you're in in from Israel, right? Like, were you yep. doing this kind of in in Tel Aviv, like investing in in Israeli stocks, or like, how exactly were you doing it?
1: So I, I started with Israeli stocks. So l- lucky enough, my my father was also a CEO and founder of a Nasdaq listed company, teach me a lot about the market. So he was my mentor in capital markets and. He actually opened for me an account under like in a bank under my name. Now I have it for my kids for my eleven-year-old, also the same. He hasn't started trading yet. And, and and basically I started trading from that account. It started from Israeli stocks, but moved into NASDAQ listed stocks relatively fast when I started looking at Intel and AMD, which are still interesting stocks, and then move to also, you know, to OTC trades, to options as you go through the rabbit hole of trading. You always go through the steps of plain vanilla, and then you get excited about things that are higher risk and higher reward.
0: So you're... Your experience reminds me of my brother. So my brother uh, was always like super interested in markets and trading. And he was like trading stocks when he was like very young as well. And like we're from Chile. We were there in Chile. And I think my dad also helped him as well. But I remember him like being frustrated about not being able to buy like Facebook from like his account in, in Chile. So is that something that... That e- eToro like also helped with just like
1: the the majority of eToro's investors were outside the U.S. and it was people who wanted to trade U.S. capital markets. A lot of people when they think about the world of crypto, they talk about this open financial system, the, this the global aspect of crypto. But there's still a lot of sort of innovation to be done to also open up the existing capital markets for most people still around the world today to just trade tesla stock if you want to open a portfolio of tesla facebook google microsoft most banks will charge you if you're outside the u.s something between if they let you 10 to 30 dollars per trade they'll they won't enable you to do fractional shares so a lot of the things that in crypto are native which is the global nature of crypto, which is the fractional part of crypto to be able to buy a fraction of Bitcoin or ETH is still not the standard in a lot of places, even for US stocks. Gradually, it's becoming more flattened. So platforms like eToro and others are democratizing finance, enabling more people to access capital markets as a whole. We also offer people to trade in European stocks and Asian stocks. But again, this is a process because it Historically, capital markets were a very local for retail investor, were a hyper-local market. Most people used to trade from their local banks in their local currency, local stocks, local financial advisors. And I think this newer generations, Generation Y and Generation Z, just have a global mindset. And that's also why we operate all around the world with customers from 100 different countries, because we're, we try to cater to what this generation needs on a global mindset, not for just a specific country.
0: So in the case of, uh, let's call it traditional uh, capital market, like stocks, what eToro is doing is uh, being the intermediary so that stocks can trade a little bit more like crypto, like in this global kind of fractional way uh, that everyone can access. So so maybe it doesn't work like eToro, like sets up accounts, in a global market so that it is able to do those trades for its customers. Is that kind of how it works?
1: Yeah. So w- when you open an account in eToro, you can fund it with a credit card or debit card or PayPal. You open an account, you fund money in your account, and then you can trade basically a variety of markets from commission-free stock trading uh, and fractional stock trading in U.S. stocks, European stocks, Asian stocks to crypto trading across 60 different crypto assets, to also commodities like gold and oil, to ETFs, to traditional currencies. So we're trying to take the most interesting assets in the world, most global and liquid assets in the world, and make it accessible to all the people in eToro.
0: Got it. And then at which point did you start to to add crypto? And I understand that you did this, Pretty early on, like what, what drew you to add crypto so early?
1: So during 2008, during the financial crisis, uh, which was very interesting as a fintech entrepreneur, because suddenly we saw all the systems blackout. And that's for somebody coming from a computer science background. It like showed me how broken the system is because suddenly the banks were closed. You couldn't trade. The markets were closed. Everything froze. And that led me to start writing about some about the concept that is called the good dollar which we launched later on as universal basic income on the blockchain but when i started writing about the good dollar what i wrote is there's a need for a transparent money system which is open 24 7 and a need for a currency for the internet and then I shared it with a lot of my friends and my, with my brother. And then when Bitcoin started back in 2010, people started sending me, hey, look, there's, there's something that looks like this currency of the internet and the system. And I just immediately fell in love in the technology. When I started, we started you know, mining a bit, we started buying crypto very early on for $5 per Bitcoin. And when I started using Bitcoin, so we used to talk to people at Bitcoin Talk, Uh, which uh, still exists, where Satoshi originally, I think, published in the, the, uh, the the white paper of Bitcoin. Then we started talking to people and actually paying them with Bitcoin. And when I started using Bitcoin, it was the same feeling when I started using the internet. And when I made my first trades in the stock market, I felt this is a technology that can connect everybody around the world. And that this eventually, this technology can change the entire world of financial services to be one open financial system that is open 24/7 for everyone around the world and doesn't shut down suddenly when there's a financial crisis. So we were very excited and passionate about Bitcoin. We started writing about the tokenization of Bitcoin very early on. We actually, we actually built a decentralized exchange on Bitcoin with atomic swaps of tokenized assets we called colored coins back in 2012. And then we added Bitcoin trading at the end of uh, 2013 to the platform. We were one of the first regulated financial institutions, right? Because we're regulated as capital markets providers, we have to also explain to the regulators what we're doing. And we really had to work with regulators and explain to them why we wanted our customers to buy Bitcoin, and this was just before Mt. Gox collapsed, uh, which wasn't a great timing. But I think we were very early on to learn how to custody, how to explain to regulators what we do with crypto, and then later on it enabled us to also be very early on in crypto rally 1.0 because we were close because of the colored coins and tokenization to the to Vitalik because he wrote with us the colored coins white paper. Then when we looked at Ethereum, we managed to add Ethereum when it was trading at about $4 to the platform early on in 2017. And from there, the rest became history. Crypto became the most popular asset on eToro for a long period of time.
0: eToro added crypto to their service package way back in 2013. From a regulation perspective, this is mind-blowing considering the growing pains crypto is experiencing today. So what did that process look like nine years ago? And how has regulation developed since? Check out Oasis Network, one of the fastest growing layer one blockchains. Oasis aims to offer improved privacy and scalability compared to other existing blockchains. They have a $200 million ecosystem fund to help projects build on its network, and it's supported by investors, including Pantera, Binance Labs, Dragonfly and Electric Capital. DeFi on Oasis offers close to zero gas fees, High throughput and has surpassed $250 million in TVL in a few months. Some of Oasis DeFi projects include Texas like Yuzu Swap and GemKeeper and Fountain Protocol, a cross chain lending platform. Visit oasisprotocol.org to learn more.
1: It was a difficult process. We tried to basically explain that you're able to own assets, so, you know, that if you have a financial services provider, you should be able to enable them to buy you assets that are not necessarily regulated assets that don't. So so again, because we were offering to already trade their foreign stocks, currencies, uh, commodities like gold and oil, then we tried to explain that this is another foreign asset that we Mm. can keep on our books and that we can enable our, our users to eventually trade it. But again, it was a process of really explaining How we custody the assets, how we save them, etc. And it still is a process. I think now it's constantly changing. I call it from you know from Bitcoin to the metaverse. We move from explaining Bitcoin to explaining other cryptocurrencies like Ethereum to explaining blockchain and ICOs and then DeFi and suddenly DeFi protocols that generate yield and staking to now NFTs and and it'll just keep on moving. I think this world is moving so fast and it's really hard for regulators to keep up with that innovation and how to build that framework where they can protect customer interests alongside enabling customers to enjoy that huge spike in innovation that we're seeing in financial services.
0: So were you speaking with Israeli regulators about this? Like, Is that your counterpart when you need to add new financial assets?
1: It was mostly European regulators, then later mm. on UK regulators. So eToro today is regulated in, in Europe, in the UK, in Australia, in the US, and setting up also now in Singapore and United Arab mm. Emirates. So it's always a global discussion with multiple regulators.
0: Oh, so you need to talk with regulators in each country that, that you're operating,
1: yeah.
0: not just where you're based.
1: Yeah, exactly. Where, where Oh regulators? my
0: God. I don't envy that. Sounds <laughs> like a pain. <laughs> right now, how like what's your crypto offering look like? How many tokens do you offer, and like what sorts of? I don't know. Do you offer something else b- besides trading tokens?
1: Sure. So first, we offer the global markets alongside crypto assets. We support mm-hmm. today about sixty different crypto assets. We have this process of doing due diligence on crypto assets before adding them to the platform and we continuously add more and more crypto assets. So we try to cover, I would say, the top 60 and obviously going to the top 100, top 200. We offer also a wallet so people can trade crypto assets alongside stocks. You can buy Tesla and Facebook and Google alongside Bitcoin and Ethereum and Ape token. And then you can also withdraw to your wallet. Right. So you can obviously move your Bitcoin and Ether to your wallet and move it to your hardware wallet. So that came later on because we started with a trading platform and then we created what's called today the Toro Money Platform, which enables you to basically move assets from the trading platform into a custodial multi-blockchain, multi-sig wallet. And that product also offers today a Visa debit card, which is connected to basically your crypto wallet. And we continuously add more and more features, both on the crypto side. So we just launched our Delta Portfolio Tracker, which enables you to track all of your crypto assets on your hard wallets, on your exchanges. So you can actually connect about 100 different exchanges to Delta today. And you can actually track also now your ETH NFTs and explore about 45,000 collections of NFTs. So we're constantly evolving. With the market uh, in Delta, you can actually explore. I think about fifteen thousand different crypto assets. So we're constantly evolving and adding more assets as we see what's interesting for our users.
0: So you can move your crypto assets to to, to a wallet, uh, and this is a custodial wallet. Are, are 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 users able to move their assets to a non custodial wallet, or is it always in kind of the Etoro system? Oh.
1: They can move it to their custodial wallet, then from their custodial wallet, they can move it to their own non-custodial wallet. So people yeah. are able to, to take it off to their you know, hardware wallets if they want as well. And we are thinking today how to integrate better the Toro experience from a transition from CFI to DeFi. So we're yeah. very excited about what we're seeing in, in Web3 and in DeFi. But there is a bridge that still needs to be built. Like most people, I, I trade on DeFi quite a bit. I'm very excited about smart contracts and that space. Mm-hmm. But how you converge between customers who are working in a regulated environment and used to work with custodial assets to a non-custodial environment, that's something that we're looking at right now and figuring out the right path for our users.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. What what are you like? What's what are your your thoughts? Initial thoughts, at least, uh, with integrating DeFi. Like, it, it, would it be something like what Coinbase tried to do, offering lending using something like Compound in the backend, or like what, what kind of thing are you exploring?
1: So I, I think the first steps for us, we started offering staking on some assets on the Tor platform, which included mm-hmm. globally. Tezos, Cardano, ETH 2.0. And we started that from a custodial point of view. So we said, okay, we custody the assets, we'll do it. Then gradually, what we've noticed is that this entire process of DeFi, it's moving so fast, it's hard to do it from necessarily a custodial perspective. And we looked at NFTs as our first sort of entrance into the DeFi space. So in, in my view... Mm-hmm. NFTs are, are for a lot of people, their first step into the non-custodial space. It's the first Mm -hmm. time a lot of my friends suddenly had to buy crypto and and bought Ethereum-based NFTs and started using marketplaces. I think NFTs create a bridge between quote-unquote normal people and Mm -hmm. DeFi because until Mm -hmm. very recently... I think only extremely sophisticated users used DeFi. It's, it doesn't mean it's it's extremely sophisticated. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're PhDs because I think sometimes super sophisticated could be just a very smart 16 years old or 21 year old who's figuring, it, figuring that out and is a crypto native. But I think gradually what's happening right now, which is why we are excited about the NFT space, is you see a lot of people who, weren't into crypto right and and i found myself numerous times explaining to non-crypto people why should you invest in bitcoin do you have the digital gold what's ethereum and smart contracts why should you invest in ethereum and then as you go through the various crypto assets you lose most again normal people because they're Mm -hmm. like okay i get crypto maybe i get also smart contracts i don't get the crypto asset number Thirty and why I should be interested in it, unless again I'm a trader, right? Unless I'm a spec, I'm speculating on something. And again, token economics is more com- complicated proper- properly than investing in stocks. But I think NFTs enabled people to see something that's more tangible, right? It's non-fungible, but for most people, it's suddenly tangible. I hold this image. I see this image, I I hold this digital art, and it and it suddenly what we're seeing in the space is people are coming from from music to celebrities to sports to people from really all the areas of culture suddenly are going into the crypto space and exploring it. And I think for us at Titoro, where when we always thought of simplifying finance and how do we create a simpler access into capital markets and into crypto markets suddenly means there's interested people f- that want a simple access to now DeFi, with NFT, I think, being just simply the first asset cl- you know, mass market asset class for crypto.
0: Yoni believes that the NFT space has been a catalyst for mass adoption to crypto, citing their tangible nature as having greater appeal than purely financial instruments. So how is this being enabled on Itaro? Will NFTs be made available on the platform directly? Liquidation-free, long-term leverage tokens. That's what's coming fresh out of TracerDAO's perpetual pools. Deployed on Arbitrum, you can take long or short positions with leverage to trade anything. Commodities, crypto, equities, even NFTs. Dive into perpetual pools at tracer.finance. You can also learn more about this release with The Voyage. A week-by-week journey to earn TCR rewards. Head over to tracer.finance today and take a look for yourself.
1: So right now, we really just started. We just launched two weeks ago. Our Delta product, the Delta Portfolio Tracker, which enables you to connect your non-custodial wallet, whether it's MetaMask or or I think through Wallet Connect, 30 other providers. So you can actually connect into Delta your non-custodial wallet so you can track your NFTs. We started with Ethereum, but the purpose is really to be able to explore all of your assets across all blockchains in one place, and not only Web three assets, but Web two assets as well. So you can connect your Etoro wallet, you can can create uh, connect your Etoro account, you can create other accounts like your Coinbase and Robinhood, your Binance account. So you can aggregate all of the assets into one place, and then we started supporting. 45,000 collections. So we can actually track data around 45,000 collections of NFTs, see their prices, see their activity. And the next step is now we're connecting to marketplaces. So you'll be able to connect your eToro account into your Delta account to basically access various marketplaces for NFTs.
0: Okay, so people will be used to will be able to use their eToro account to buy NFTs directly?
1: It's We're looking at this similar to how we looked at eToro money. People were able to fund, <laughs> just like you move money from your eToro <laughs> account. You, you bought Ethereum on your eToro account and you want to move it into your eToro money account. We want to facilitate, basically, funding your non-custodial wallet so you can actually access NFTs as well.
0: Got it. Okay. So it'll be eToro can start to become like an on-ramp.
1: So it it is an on-ramp. It's an Mm on-ramp into capital markets, into crypto markets today. Mm -hmm. Now we're thinking of how do we bridge that on-ramp into DeFi as well, specifically to start with NFTs, but we understand that eventually it's becoming more than NFTs.
0: Got it. That's super interesting. So... I think in general, like broadly, that's an, a really important role that CFI or, or fintech can have in DeFi and in Web3 and non-custodial applications, becoming that bridge for people to more easily go from their credit card or their fiat into transacting and using Web3 applications. Do, do you agree? Do you see that as maybe eToro's role in DeFi?
1: I think E-Toro's role is bigger, is bigger than that because our view is eventually people need to manage their investments in a more holistic way. And when you think about investing, diversification is the most important part of investing. And I think what we see in the crypto world is sometimes, and this is an unpopular opinion in crypto, I know, but people are way overweight on crypto. Uh, and sometimes when people are in DeFi, they're way overweight in DeFi. Like if your entire wealth is in ERC-20 tokens, you should think about diversifying a bit your wealth. And, and that's, again, because on a long-term horizon, I don't think traditional capital markets are going to disappear and people need to understand how to manage their investments on a long-term horizon across multiple asset classes both stocks potentially even bonds although they haven't been favorable recently but now when interest rates are going higher ETFs crypto assets like the core crypto assets of you know bitcoin as digital gold and ethereum as digital oil and of course defi which enables you access to newer type of assets or nfts as digital art our view is that our role is to help people manage their investments and become successful investors across multiple assets so they can understand how to manage their entire wealth eventually, both on Web 2 and Web 3. I think in that convergence between Web 2 and Web 3, I think there's a, a how. it's all a question of how fast is this transition going to happen. In my view we're looking at the next maybe 10 to 20 years where most assets in the world become digital because you can't even think about what it means not to be digital because it means you're analog. So I don't think in 20 years we're going to have a lot of analog assets, right? So we're going to have uh, central bank digital currencies. We're probably going to have government bonds. We're going to have most stock markets move into a transition of 24-7 blockchain-based assets. We're going to have a variety of digital art and obviously crypto assets as they exist today. But this is a long transition and it's always easier with new assets to do transition and transformational technology than with existing assets. Within that process, there is a big question on, I'm meeting more and more people who are crypto native, who were, you know, their first investments were crypto. They just want to do non-custodial, on-chain transactions, and they're basically telling us we don't want to do anything that's on ch- that's not on-chain. The question is, how do you transfer then traditional assets, maybe even gold and oil and the stock markets into on-chain to give that holistic experience? And how does that process look like going from CFI into DeFi? Because I think eventually most assets in the world are going to be digital assets and you can say DeFi is the world of digital assets but it's all but some of the centralized entities are still going to have a role and some of the centralized assets right The stocks of a company Apple shares are centralized by definition those are shares of Apple so how will those get eventually digital for a digital native a crypto native generation
0: so interesting and do you think That will be the the default in kind of the younger generation that more and more people will become crypto native and want to do everything on chain? Or will it for like decades to come, do you think it'll still be a minority?
1: I think it will become the majority. I I think Mm -hmm. the technology and the pace of the technology is people used to say there's traditional finance and FinTech runs 10 times faster than traditional finance. I think what we're seeing in the DeFi space is running a hundred times faster than traditional finance. And I think eventually you, ha- you, when you have industries that run simply faster, they eventually eat the old industry. And so I, I do think we're looking at an inevitable transition where most assets in the world become digital assets, blockchain based assets. But there are a lot of open questions around. KYC around regulation, around permission versus versus permissionless blockchains, I think in this transition from traditional finance to decentralized finance, I think a lot of those questions haven't been answered yet.
0: Yoni believes eToro's role is to bring diversification of assets to portfolios within the space, offering alternatives such as ETFs, smart portfolios, and social investment. But which model has been adopted the most in crypto? Give the popularity of passive investment in TradFi? Is crypto inherently different? To swap crypto, a user has to choose among hundreds of DEXs on multiple networks, all offering different rates and fees. Do you want to avoid that hassle? Swap on One Inch, a DEX aggregator that gets you the best rates than any single DEX. Enjoy the unlimited liquidity across multiple networks and top-level security. Try OneInch now
1: i think it's interesting because again we're looking at two very big transformations which again are both transformation of wealth right so we're looking at crypto markets moving potentially from two trillion dollars to 200 trillion dollars which is really on the back end right so assets becoming digital and from the other end we're seeing a generational transformation of wealth moving from older generations to younger generations that's by default also from our generations growing older And amassing wealth. And I think younger generations are leading what we consider today, which is the rise of retail investors, which is people want to be more involved in the decision-making. They want to choose their stocks. They want to choose their cryptocurrencies. They want to participate in meme stocks and meme coins because they want to ape in because they believe in something. They want to be involved in ESG-related companies and understand the scoring of ESG companies to invest in what they believe in. I think younger generations are so connected to the internet and to the wealth of information that they don't feel they need to just give someone else their money and forget about it. And ETFs, I I think funds in general were more of a, a Gen X product. And now when we think of Gen Y and Gen Z, they are becoming more active. They are becoming more social about it. They talk about what's happening in the markets. And again, this explosion of, I think now it's hundreds of millions of users that suddenly are participating in trading and investing, right, that didn't exist before. Like historically, when you think about how many people in Chile traded the stock markets or the global markets, it was very few. You needed to be wealthy, and because it was few, you didn't have a lot of people to talk about it. Now, you can talk about it with millions of people around the world at any given moment. People can find new assets to trade, and I think that the fact that people can talk about the markets on social media, whether it's social media platforms like eToro, or whether it's Reddit or Twitter, the fact that this conversation has become a global, wide-scale conversation when the barriers to entry are, are getting lower. I think it's, uh, it's funny. I was explaining to my son about Bitcoin and then he looked at the price of Bitcoin and then he told me, but it's too expensive. I heard about Dogecoin, that's much cheaper. So I, I think the fact that, you know, the, the entry point is getting significantly lower expands significantly the target audience. And when the target audience grows, the social interactions think about like maybe one out of 10 people talks about what they're investing in but if you grow this entire market and this entire conversation then many more are actually talking about the market this what we're think what we're seeing now is as a trend of the rise of retail investors and the move from passive to active
0: is is that risky though because it's like been proven that it's, it's extremely hard to beat the market. Like investing in just like the S&P 500 in the long run turns out to be a lot more profitable than trying to do stock picking. So I don't I wonder like how, whether this all makes sense.
1: It, I think for first taking risk by investing in anything means taking risk. But you can ask yourself another question. Does it make sense to buy Bitcoin? It's taking risk. Does it make sense to buy Ethereum? It's taking risk. But it's probably the right decision if you look at the last five years, and probably it still is for the next five years. I think it's all about understanding how to take risk. You you asked me as we started that you'll want to talk about entrepreneurs and and what they need to learn in order to to build a business. And it's all about taking risk because no risk, no reward You need to understand the risks. You need to analyze the risks. I am a very big believer that across time, if you learn how to invest in growth assets, risk, which by definition are risk assets, whether it's tech stocks, whether it's sometimes undervalued stocks, whether it's crypto assets, whether it's ICOs, maybe sometimes to an extent, it's NFTs. It's always about taking risk and understanding how to manage that risk. And and I think we're seeing retail investors saying we want to take that risk and we're willing to take that risk and understand it because we're looking for that reward as well. We're looking for those upsized returns. And I think that it makes sense to enable people, as long as they understand what are the risks they're, they're taking, to participate in it. I think Gradually, it also teaches a lot of people about volatility. And and I, and I think learning about volatility, that's why I tell people right now, some people ask us, how do your users handle the market correction? Because some stocks went down by 50%. And I tell them they already learned from crypto how to handle volatility. And if you think about like memes in crypto, like HODL, Right. Well, hodl actually means something that Warren Buffett has been saying for the last like, 50 years. You believe in something, you invest in something, invest in the long term, hodl it. I think that the statistics that the average portfolio manager or the average stock picker does less than the index. I think that's a bit of a, in my view, that's a bit of a misleading statistic because you're talking about the average person makes less than the average. So if you take fees, errors, etc., that's almost by definition the issue. It's not that I don't think that it makes sense to invest in ETFs. And, and, and just I think it's a good investment just to invest in ETFs of NASDAQ and the S&P. But I think if you have a view in the markets, if you want to form a view of the markets, if you think that you want to be over allocated into crypto or tech stocks because you believe in In that technology or that technology, if you believe in renewable energy and you want to buy stocks of solar energy companies, I I think it makes sense for you to make those decisions with your money. It's your money. You worked hard to get that money. You should have the ability to make the decisions where you want to invest
0: So to you, like the, the right way to do it is, okay, take a view, like you don't have to be market kind of neutral, take a view, but also do it in a diversified way. So you're not having, you don't have everything in, in one sector.
1: Yeah, I think again, that's a, in investing, the concept of diversification is very important because you want to always have, so that doesn't matter what, you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket because then if something happens, you basically don't have access to capital and to reallocate. So it just I invest in value stocks like Coca-Cola and McDonald's. I have the blue chip value stocks. I invest in tech stocks. I am heavily overweighted into crypto markets as well. And into crypto, I'm more into sort of the large cap crypto versus the small ones, but I invest across the entire crypto market. But then when you have a correction like we're seeing now where tech stocks are getting a hit or tech stocks that are not profitable are even taking a bigger hit, then you can take some money out of your value portfolio and reallocate because that's where the opportunity. When right now crypto is taking a hit, right? And Bitcoin suddenly is back at 40,000, because I have money elsewhere, I can reallocate back into crypto. And basically, that's how you adjust returns over time. And that's also how you make sure you're not stuck in red of you know, minus 50%, especially in high-risk assets. And and that's something that's, again, very it's called modern portfolio theory, but it's a a relatively old theory, which is if you look at several high-risk, high-risk, high-reward, like let's say double-digit returns, a 20% risk or reward element, but they're uncorrelated and you construct a portfolio of assets which have high-risk, high-reward, you actually lower the risk of the portfolio So your portfolio risk is actually lower. The volatility of your portfolio is going to be lower, keeping the potential upside reward of the portfolio. And and, and that's the concept of risk management, the the, the diversification in a a nutshell.
0: Nice. Um, I'd love to kind of, uh, in in the last section of, of the interview, move to your... Just like your, your founder story and how you've been able to build this company uh, over 15 years into something that's so successful and used by millions and millions of people worldwide. I think every founder kind of dreams of having the, the reach that eToro has. Yeah, I'd love to get your nuggets of, of wisdom. What do you think uh, was the, if, if you go back to the early years of, of eToro, what do you think was was a catalyst? Like when did you start to see that hockey stick growth when, okay, you had the first kind of massive wave of, of users come into the platform. What do you think triggered that
1: for you? I, I think, again, we had to, across time, constantly adapt it to Toro. I, I think may, maybe one of my biggest lessons is, from one end, be very persistent on your long-term vision. I I, I still believe there's a huge upside because... Hundreds of millions of people are going to want to make their own investment decisions. They're going to need tools to help them manage their investments over time. And these new generations need better tools that banks and traditional financial systems simply don't provide. So I think our vision to go 10x from where we are today over the next 10 years is a huge opportunity. And it's the same as I believed in when we just started eToro, when the markets were much, much less proven. But we always believed that there's a huge opportunity in making trading and investing simpler and in opening the global markets for everyone to trade and invest in a simple and transparent way. And and on the other hand, we had to pivot around what's happening in the markets. We started eToro as a desktop app. We had, had a very big sort of hard decision to let go of the desktop app to move to a Flash-based system. We had to make a big decision eventually to move from Flash into a web-based, Angular-based system to move to a mobile-first approach where we said people in 2015 will move to mobile. And this was the beginning of this transition. Today, more than 90% of our users are on mobile. We started with one asset class. We then added crypto. We made a bet on crypto. And that bet actually failed because of Mt. Gox. So we spent a lot of money and effort setting Bitcoin, and then nobody used Bitcoin. No one for three years, from 2013 actually to 2017, nobody traded Bitcoin. We had we've done all that work. We we did so much sort of preparation for Bitcoin, but then when Mt. Gox happened. Bitcoin went from $1,200 to $200, and no one cared anymore about Bitcoin for three-plus years. But we still believed in it, and we kept on investing in it. And then when Crypto Rally 1.0 started, we started adding more and more crypto assets. Then we launched commission-free stock trading globally, right? Before commission-free stock trading really took. By the way, in most places around the world, it's still expensive to trade U.S. stocks, We offer it for our customers from 100 different countries. So again, each of these innovations, you need to have a very long-term horizon to keep on investing in what you believe in, but also look at where the markets are going and being able to navigate. Right now, we don't have any business in DeFi, but I I understand the importance of DeFi on a long-term horizon. So we're making our first steps into DeFi, where I think NFTs are just a great way to bring non-crypto people into basically this new asset class, into DeFi, into non-custodial wallets, into NFTs. So it's, it's constantly trying to look at where the market is and adapt your long-term vision into what's happening in the markets now on, on various horizons, what you have to do right now, what needs to be done in the next three years and where you want to eventually be in the next five to 10 years.
0: That's so insightful. So have a long-term conviction, but also the flexibility to adapt to shorter-term industry or market-wide fluctuations. 100% agree. Okay. And then to wrap up, I'd love to ask you, Yoni, what makes you defiant?
1: What makes me defiant? I think understanding that the world is changing all the time and that people constantly think of the status quo. We have this shirt for the good dollar. It says defy the status quo. I think people very easily think that what is today is what's going to be tomorrow. And I think I understand very well that status quo constantly changes and you need to look into the future, understand how tomorrow looks like and aspire to be relevant where tomorrow is and not where the status quo is.
0: I love it. I think that's a great message to end with and a great message to uh, all of our listeners. Yanni, what a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thank you very much. (laughs) Pleasure.
0: Thank you for listening to the Defiant Podcast. Together, we are taking hold of the world of DeFi and Web3 with the most influential voices in the space. Don't forget to subscribe to all our channels, our newsletter, YouTube, social media accounts, and of course, this podcast. See you next week.